Welcome to the Painesville Assembly of God podcast. We're always encouraged to know God is working through this ministry to touch lives. So if you have a story to share of how God is working in your life, please let us know by sending us an email at info at Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. Well, friends, you are in for a treat today because uh, we have a, a special uh, guest who's going to be bringing the message today, our youth pastor, uh, James Espito, and he is dynamic. He is awesome. And so I'm going to invite Pastor James to come, and Pastor James is going to bring the message. If you're not watching on Wednesday nights, our youth service is being broadcast, and Pastor James does a great job. So Pastor James, bring the word to us today. Thank you so much, Pastor Aaron. I uh, appreciate the opportunity to share, to, to really to, to come into your homes this morning and to share with you uh, the message that I believe that God has placed on my heart today. We're going to uh, jump right into the Word. Uh, if you have your Bibles handy with you, get those out. We're going to be um, spending a lot of time in Jeremiah chapter 29 this morning. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 4, says this. It says, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those carried into exile. This morning I want to talk to you uh, from the topic, Original Exile. Let's pray. Dear merciful Heavenly Father, we're so thankful, Lord, that uh, even in the midst of uh, this stay-at-home order, we can still connect as a church and connect as a church family. Uh, we, we can still hear your word. We can still worship together. And next week, we can even still take communion together because the church isn't just uh, this building, but the church is a people, and we can stay connected to you and stay connected to one another, even in the midst of these circumstances. Lord, we thank you. We ask that your word would go forth, that you would speak through me this morning, and that you would touch hearts and lives. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So to be in exile means to be away from your home. To be in exile means to be in a place that isn't your home. And with this stay-at-home order, you might think, hey, you know what? Exile sounds pretty good right now to be outside of, of your home. But as I was thinking and preparing about this message, uh, I was thinking about some historical examples of exile. And as I was thinking about that, uh, one of the things that came to my mind was uh, the many people who were um, sentenced to exile during the, the reign of the Soviet Union um, in Siberia. People, many people were sentenced to exile in Siberia during that time period. And so I started to do a little bit of research. I read some historical documents about that time period. And what I found out was that millions, millions of evangelical Christians were sentenced to exile. They were taken from their homes and they were sentenced to exile in labor camps in Siberia uh, in the Soviet Union. And this is something that those believers, I'm sure that they should be commended for and that they will be rewarded for by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Uh, but this morning, that's not necessarily the type of exile that I want to talk to you about. I want to speak to you about the theme of exile that is prominent throughout Scripture. The theme of exile is a dominant motif 
in scripture, and I think it's something that we don't talk about very often, and yet there are loads of books of the Bible that talk about the theme of exile. For example, 2 Kings, 2 Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi all talk about the exilic period in Israel's history. And these are just the books that talk about the historical exile. Books in the New Testament like 1 Peter and Hebrews include the theme of exile as well. And and I would like to suggest that the theme of exile is something that permeates all of Scripture. All of Scripture has the theme and it's something that's very important to biblical theology. So what is exile? What is exile? Well, in 586 BC, King Nebuchadnezzar, the the king of the Babylonians, he invaded Judah. He invaded Judah and he conquered Jerusalem and he carried the people there off into exile to Babylon, the people of that city. And this happened, the Bible tells us that it happened because of a result of their sin, specifically their disobedience to God and going after idols and worshiping idols, idolatry. In Hosea chapter 13, verses two through three, God says this. He says, now they sin more and more. They make idols for themselves from their silver, cleverly fashioned images, all of them the work of craftsmen. It is said of these people, they offer human sacrifices, they kiss calf idols, therefore they will be like the morning mist, like the early dew that disappears, like chaff swirling from the threshing floor, like smoke escaping through a window." The terrible and the the horrific experience of exile for the people of Jerusalem was a result of their sin. The promised land, the very land that God had promised, the very land that God had delivered into their hands was taken from them because they broke the covenant with God. God said that they would remain in the land, that they would prosper in the land as long as they were obedient to him and his covenant. But when they broke that, their disobedience led them into exile and God used the Babylonians as his instrument to bring punishment upon his people and to lead them into exile. But this isn't necessarily the exile I want to talk to you about this morning. You see, I believe that Judah's exile, that this historical event of exile that actually happened to God's people in the word of God is a picture of the exile that we live in today. We're currently in a state of exile. As I've said, exile is a result of our sin. And I've called this message original exile because original exile is a result of original sin. Many of you know the story of of Adam and Eve. God created Adam and Eve and, and he placed them in the garden. God created Adam, formed him out of the dust of the ground, and when there was no suitable helper found for him, he he took a rib out of Adam's side and out of it he formed and fashioned his wife Eve. And in the Garden of Eden, it was a perfect 
paradise. Everything that they could have ever needed was there in the garden. God's perfect presence. The Bible tells us that they walked and talked with God in the garden. The perfect presence of God. The presence of God that that we can't even begin to explain today. They experienced daily in the garden. Everything that they needed was there. It was a perfect paradise. And, and, and they weren't just, just sitting around eating fruit all day either. No, they had purpose in the garden as well. They had dominion over the garden and dominion over the animals in the garden. They were to care for and tend for the garden. You see, it was paradise. They experienced the perfect presence of God. They had purpose, but God gave them one command. God gave them one command. God said to them, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. This was the one thing that they were forbidden from in the entire garden. God says, I'm placing you in this perfect paradise. Everything is yours, but this tree. Don't eat the fruit from this tree. And they lived in this paradise until they were deceived. See, the serpent said to Eve, he said, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Did God really say you must eat? Of course, that isn't what God said. God had given them every tree in the garden for food, but one tree, but the enemy's tactics then are still the same today. He doesn't change. He still questions us. Did God really say? This is why I tell our students in Reality Student Ministries, I tell them all the time, that if God speaks to you, if you know God is speaking to you, write down what God is saying. Write it down because as surely as God speaks, there will come a point where the enemy will question what God has said to you. Did God really say, did God really call you to do that? Did God really call you into that ministry? Did God really tell you to do that? And and we can begin to doubt and question the things that God has told us, which is why we need to write those things down and read them over and over again, the truth of the word of God, keep it in the forefront of our minds so that we know what God says. Eve didn't fall for this one. She corrected the serpent and she responded by saying, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. Notice what Eve did here. She added something to God's command. God never said that they couldn't touch the fruit of the tree. He said not to eat the fruit of the tree. But Eve distorted God's word by adding something to it. And this was her first mistake. Her second mistake was believing that the fruit was good even when God told them not to eat it. Genesis chapter 3, starting with verse 6, says, When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some of it and ate it. She also gave some to her husband 
who was with her, and he ate it. See, Adam doesn't get off the hook here. In fact, I, I sometimes I place more blame on Adam because it says that her husband, who was with her. He, so, so Adam is standing there the whole time that this dialogue is taking place between Eve and the serpent, and he remains silent. He is a passive observer. At least Eve speaks up in defense. Adam says nothing, and he eats it, and they both disobey, and here's the result of their disobedience. Verse 7, then the eyes of both of them are opened, and they realize that they're naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. This is what sin does. It always causes us to look inward instead of focusing our attention to God. Sin always causes our direction and our gaze to move downward on ourselves instead of looking upward to where God is. That's a result of sin. And for the first time, In their existence, Adam and Eve experienced shame. They experienced shame for the first time, and they took fig leaves and they attempted to create a covering to cover themselves with these fig leaves to cover up their shame. And when God confronted them on their sin, the curse of sin was placed on mankind. Genesis 3.21 says... That the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. Here, the mercy of God is shown beautifully. God's mercy. When God confronted Adam and Eve on their sin, he didn't kill them as their sin deserved. Instead, he took an animal. And he made that animal a sacrifice. He killed that animal in their place. And the Bible says that he took the skin from that animal and he used it as a covering to cover up Adam and Eve's shame. And this animal, this sacrifice is a picture, a foreshadowing of what would happen when Jesus would come into the world and take our place, die in our stead, and that his righteousness like a covering would cover up our sin and our shame and come over us. Second Corinthians chapter 5 says that he became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. His righteousness covered us. But That wasn't the only consequence of their sin. Genesis chapter 3 verses 22 through 24 says, And the Lord God said to to them, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the garden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the garden a cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Adam and Eve were banished. They were 
exiled from the perfect presence of God in the Garden of Eden. The paradise that God had made for them, where they had everything that they could ever need, was there in the Garden, and they were exiled as a result of their sin and their disobedience. Exile is a result of sin. And much like the people of Israel who were exiled from Jerusalem, from the promised land, Adam and Eve were exiled from the paradise of the Garden of Eden because of their sin. And this is the same exile that you and I live in today. 1 Peter 2 verse 11, Peter addresses his audience this way when he writes, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles. We live in a world that is not our home. We live in a place that is not our home. This is what it means to be an exile. To be an exile is to live with the constant tension that we are in the world, but we are not of this world. You see, we are foreigners and strangers in a land, in a place that is not our home. We dwell in a place apart from the perfect presence of God. It can be said of us as believers of Christ, what it was said of the patriarch Abraham, that by faith we made our home in this world like a stranger in a foreign country. We lived in temporary dwellings. These bodies are temporary dwellings, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with us in the same promise. We, for we are looking forward to a city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. This is the tension that we live in. We live in a tension, a state of, we're in a state of exile because of our sin. Being in exile means being in a place that is not our home. That's where we are. We live and we dwell in a place as strangers and foreigners, a place that is not our home. This world is not our home. And we are separate from that perfect presence of God that Adam and Eve experienced in the garden. Yes, We can experience the presence of God here and now, but it is not like they experienced in the garden. Our sin has separated us from God, and all creation, the whole of creation, suffers because of this exile. That's why Paul wrote, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. This is our existence Here on earth, we exist in a state of exile, but there is hope. There is hope. Much like there was hope for the children of Israel when they were in Babylon in exile, there is hope for us today. Jeremiah 29 verses 10 through 11 says this. It says, this is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon... I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. 
God spoke through the prophet Jeremiah at the beginning moments of their exile into Babylon. And God said to them, 70 years. This is the time frame. This will be your experience for the next 70 years. You will be in exile. But when that 70 years is up, I will come for you and I will bring you back unto myself. I will bring you back to the land which I have promised you and I will restore you. I don't believe it's a coincidence that God chose 70 years to be the time frame that they were in exile. Because remember, remember, their exile is a picture of the exile that we live in today. Right now in our world, the average human lifespan globally is about 73 years of age. Psalm 90 verse 10 says, Our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures. Isaiah 23 15 says, At that time, Tyre will be forgotten for 70 years, the span of a king's life. I don't think it's a coincidence that, that the people of Israel were exiled in Babylon for a lifetime. 70 years. Why? Because Israel's Exile in Babylon is a picture of our lives here on earth as we await the day when our king will come for us and bring us back unto himself. Listen, church, our exile here on earth has a time frame. There is a time frame that we are here in exile. I'm very thankful. I don't know about you, but I'm very thankful that I'm not going to live here forever. That I'm not going to be here on earth living in this body, in this world forever. I'm thankful that I have a home outside of this place. I'm thankful that Christ said that he has went to prepare a place for me. I'm thankful that one day he's going to return for us and pull us, draw us unto himself. I'm thankful that one day again we will have renewed access to the tree of life. Revelation chapter 22 verses 2 through 3. John has this vision of when our collective exile will come to an end. And this is what he says about it. He says, on each side of the river stood the tree of life. Bearing 12 crops of fruit. Yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city and His servants will serve Him. What we lost in the garden will be restored. What we lost because of our sin, because of our disobedience, will be restored. Yes, we live in exile here and now, but Jesus is coming for His people and He will pull us to Himself. We have a home that is not here. This is our hope. Our hope is there will be no more curse. Our hope is that once and for all we will live forever in the perfect presence of God in His kingdom and in his presence we will be made completely new in that day there will be no reason for fear there'll be no more tears no more death no more sin no more guilt no more shame there'll be no more need for quarantine because there'll be no disease 
We will experience the perfect healing that Christ paid for completely on the cross for us. This is what we await for. This is our hope. This is where we will have that perfect peace in the presence of God. And it will be like nothing we've ever experienced before. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us, Romans 8 says. This is our blessed hope. The assurance that we have. The return from exile. And the most ironic thing about this is that our, our return from exile, the reason, the opportunity, and the possibility that we get to be returned to God is because someone else was exiled. See, the original exile that I'm talking about today it's not the exile of Adam and Eve, and it's, it's not even fully our exile, but it's the exile of Jesus Christ. Revelation chapter 13 calls him the lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world. Before Adam and Eve ever sinned, before they ever took of the fruit that they weren't supposed to, in the heart of God was a plan a plan of redemption, a plan that would his people, if they would ever sin and disobey against him, if ever there was a time when he had to send them in exile away from his perfect presence, he made and formed a plan that he would bring them back unto himself. And the plan involved sending his own son into exile from heaven. Remember, exile, exile is being somewhere that's not your home. Jesus voluntarily left heaven for you and for me. And he came down to this earth. And I know you might be thinking, but Pastor James, you said exile is a result of sin and Jesus never sinned. That's right. His exile is a result of our sin. His coming to earth. No one took his life. He laid it down of his own accord. His leaving heaven, the incarnation, putting on flesh, God in the flesh coming to earth was a result of original sin. Original exile is a result of original sin. Jesus left heaven, came to live as an exile among us, a place that was not his home for you and for me. John. John chapter 1 verses 10 through 14 says, He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. He left his dwelling. He made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. He left heaven, came to earth voluntarily for you and for me. For God so loved the world that he sent his son into exile.
And he felt the full weight of that exile on the cross. Matthew chapter 27 verse 46 says that Jesus cried out from the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I believe it was at that moment that God the Father placed the full weight of the sin of the world on the shoulders of Jesus Christ. The Father turned his face away from his son. And for the first time, the son experienced what it was like to be separated from the presence of the father. And he did all of this for you and for me. He did it for us. He did it so that we might have a home with him forever. He did it so that we can have hope. And just as he was raised from the dead and ascended to the Father, we will be raised and we will return from exile to the perfect presence of God. That's our hope. Yes, we're in exile now, but we have a hope of returning to the perfect presence of God. But for now, we're in exile So I want to end this message back where we started in Jeremiah chapter 29. And I want to do that on a super practical note, a very practical note. You see, in Jeremiah chapter 29, God is speaking through the prophet Jeremiah to the people of Israel as they are in exile. And God gives them certain commands for how they are to live. He gives them directives for how they are to live their lives in exile in Babylon. And I believe that we can apply these commands to our lives today as we live currently in a state of exile here Jeremiah 29 verses 4 through 9 says this, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says to all those carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. There are seven commands here in the verses we have just read where God is giving direct commands to his people as to how they are to live in exile. And I think we can apply them in our lives today. And I'm just going to go through these very quickly. Number one, Verse 5, build houses. Basically what God is saying here when he says to build houses is he's saying to get comfortable. Now obviously God is not saying to get comfortable in the essence that, that he, wants, he does not want them to assimilate into Babylonian culture. He does not want them to forget their identity as the people and the children of God. But what he is saying is get comfortable because this exile is not going to be short. You see, in this time period... Right as they were going into exile, there were other prophets besides Jeremiah 
false prophets who were deceiving the people, saying that the exile is going to be short. In just a short amount of time, God's going to bring us back. So, so don't get too comfortable because God's going to bring us back. And yes, God is going to bring us back, Jeremiah says. But it's going to be 70 years. So don't get too comfortable. Be prepared for this to last a while. Listen, church, we don't know the day or the hour. Is Christ's return imminent? Absolutely. Could he come back before this message is over? 100%. But we also need to be prepared that he tarries. What if Christ tarries? I've heard it said that, that we should be prepared for him to come back in an instant, but we should also be prepared for him to tarry for 100 years. Church, we must be prepared. We must be ready. The first command is to build houses. The second command is to plant gardens. To plant gardens. Simply what this means is to be productive. Be productive in exile. Some of you, some of you listening to this, you need to hear this today. Be productive in the midst of the stay-at-home order. Yes, you might not be working or you might be working from home. It doesn't matter. Still be productive. Teenagers, if you're listening to this, don't spend 18 hours a day playing video games, being on social media and binge watching things on Netflix and Disney+. Be productive. Don't waste this time. Be productive. Plant gardens. Third, he says to eat. Eat. Now, now, this is sort of the result of the first two commands. If you, if you build houses, if you're prepared, and if you're productive, then you get to enjoy the, the fruit of your labor. Eat. I love that command. I can get on board with that. Anybody else, right? We can get on board with that command that God gives to eat. Fourth, he says, take wives, become fathers, multiply. The fourth command is given to build families. Build and create families. Let me just say that in this life, the most important thing that we can do is to build families. Now, if you're single, or if for some reason you can't have children, this command is still for you. Because you can build families. A family is a group of people who love and care for one another. Church pastor has been saying during this, this season, the stay-at-home order, when we're not able to physically gather, that, that these four walls don't make the church, but that we make up the church. We are a church family, and we should be caring for one another in our church family. We should be loving, taking care of, caring for. Pick up the phone and give somebody a call. Write somebody an encouraging note. Can we be a family? Can we care for one another? Even in the midst of this crisis, let's care for one another. And I'm so glad that many of you are already doing this. But continue. Continue to build that family, that church family. And another thing that he says when he's talking about building the family, he says, increase. Do not decrease there. Listen, this is a time and a season where we can increase. We can talk to people about Jesus. We can share Jesus with other people. We should be growing in exile and not decreasing. Fifth, verse 7, he says, seek the welfare of the city. Seek the welfare of the city. What we are doing for the community right now is seeking the welfare of our city. Listen, we're not gathering as a church all physically together, but we're having church online because we're seeking the welfare of our city. 
Because we've been told that this virus is contagious and dangerous, and we want to protect the people in our city and in our community who are most vulnerable. And we can do that by having church online. But we can also do that by giving to Salvation Army, by supporting local businesses. We can seek the welfare of our city. Listen, God doesn't want us to have an attitude that this world is just going to hell and we're glad to watch it burn. That's not the attitude that God wants us to have. The attitude that God wants us to have is to seek the welfare of our city and our community and the people that we live here with in exile. We are to seek the welfare of our city. Six, pray on its behalf. Now more than ever, the church has the opportunity and the obligation to be in prayer. To be in prayer for our city. To be in prayer for our government officials. To be in prayer for our nation and our world. We live here in exile. We are in the world. We are not of the world, but we are still here. And he's, the, the word of God says that if, if the city prospers, you prosper as well. We should be praying for the poor and the homeless during this time in our city. We should be praying for the sick and the downtrodden. We should be praying for those who have lost their jobs because of this crisis. We should be praying for the welfare of our city. We must be a people who pray on behalf of our community. Finally, seven, he says, do not let your prophets deceive you. The final command is to not be deceived. We should be steadfast in our faith and in our belief in the word of God, not turning to the right or turning to the left, but staying focused on the mission that God has for us here in this season and this time. We must not allow ourselves to be swayed. I I believe that that we are in the last days. Here and now, we are in the last days. Days And the Bible says that in the last days, many will be deceived in even the elect. We must stand firm and not allow ourselves to be like Adam and Eve. Not to believe the lies of the enemy, but constantly be in the word of truth, seeking out truth so that we keep ourselves from being deceived. Church, we are a people in exile, but we have hope. We have hope in the return of our Lord and Savior who's coming for us. Who's coming for us and who's going to gather us unto himself. Pull us and draw us and lead us to him. And one day we will experience the fullness of all of his promises. But today we live in exile. So we build houses. We plant gardens. Today, we eat and enjoy the fruit of our labor here. We build families. We seek the welfare of our city. We pray for our communities. We keep ourselves focused and not deceived. Focused on the truth of God's word. We search and seek after him. Listen, if you're watching this at home, you're listening to this and you have never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want to give you the opportunity to do that right here and right now. 
before we close this broadcast, I want you to understand that Jesus loves you, that he left his place in heaven and he came to earth for you, that he gave his life on the cross for you. And that one day you can have the hope that we will be returned and in that perfect presence of God as well. All he asks of you is to confess your sins to him, to surrender your life to him, give yourself over to him completely. Put your trust and faith in him and him alone. This morning, if you would do that, if you would pray with me in just a few minutes, and if you would do that, then, then I believe that, that you can too have the hope of that return from exile. Church family, if you're listening and you have accepted Jesus, I just want to encourage you in the midst of this time. Yes, we're living in exile. Yes, we're living in difficult times. But God is for us. God remains on the throne and we can keep our hope and our eyes fixed on the plan that he has for us. Plans not to harm us, but plans to prosper us, to give us hope and a future. I just want to pray a prayer of blessing on you as we close out this morning. Dear merciful Heavenly Father, I ask that those who are listening, who are watching this, who don't know you, I ask that they would put their total faith, trust, and surrender into you today. For those of us, Lord, who are your servants, who serve you here, who have given our lives over into the service of your kingdom, God, I pray for strength and encouragement. God, I pray for peace in times of trouble. I pray that your kingdom would come and your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven in our lives. I pray that you would help us to live out the tension of exile, the tension that we are in the world but not of the world. I pray that we would be able to do that well with our eyes fixed on the author and the perfecter of our faith. Allow us to not be deceived, but hold us in the palm of your hand, Lord. Keep us safe and secure. Keep us from harm. Thank you for the hope that we have, that one day we will be with you forever. This exile will end. It's not going to last forever, but one day we will be with you forever. And our present sufferings cannot even compare to the glories that you have in store for us. Thank you. We rejoice in our hope today. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We pray that you are encouraged and strengthened by God's word. For more information about Painesville Assembly of God, please visit PainesvilleAG.com.